At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Hey, y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. This is a Fright Fest 2014 special of It's podcast. This is a Fright Fest 2014 special of It's the Britflix.com podcast. Welcome to another Britflix.com Fright Fest preview podcast. My name's Stuart Wright, and today I've got with me Riley Stearns. Hello, Riley. Hello, how's it going? It's going very well, it's going very well. It's, uh, it's fairly dark here, but I guess you've just had your lunch. I just had lunch. It's a little late of a lunch for me. I'm used to eating around 11.30 like a weirdo, but uh, had to run some errands. So yes, I just am, I'm lunched and it's bright out and it's hot and yes. It's, it's hot in Britain, but we've, we've just had the, we've just the tail end of Hurricane Bertha. Just, oh yeah, just I, I've heard a little bit about that. How, is everything like, I guess it's, you said it's hot, but it's not like raining there or anything like that? Or Well, we, well London had a little bit of a kind of deluge but i think down in the southwest of england it was kind of like you know foot to a meter high of oh, water wow. and stuff like flash flooding oh yeah yeah so yes so london got it off lightly i think it's safe to say that's good that's good to hear right then riley you um let's let's tell people what we're here to talk about what's the name of the film well, I wrote and directed a film that's called Faults, the plural of fault. Uh, it uh, is a dark comedy, and it's playing at Fright Fest this year. Do you want to give us a brief synopsis of the... Um... Sure, yeah. Uh, so Faults is about a, a kind of a washed-up deprogrammer. Um, back in the 80s, they had these, these, uh, these guys who were kind of... It would help people get out of cults and help family members retrieve their family members from cults. And, and he's kind of a washed-up, uh, has-been cult deprogrammer. Uh, is kind of living in his car and going from seminar to seminar to make money. Uh, and uh, he's approached by these parents who need help with their daughter. They're desperate to, to get her back, and, and she's kind of gotten in, involved with this group called Faults, this, this weird, uh, mysterious cult. And uh, uh, he decides he's, he's going to help them, and as it kind of goes along, uh, we start questioning whether or not the parents are actually worse than the cult than the girl, that the girl is involved in. <laughs> and that's pointing mildly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And now, I mean, this this question was was sort of settled with my anticipation of 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 kind of um, of stereotypical uh, fright fest fairs. So uh, I'm not sure it even makes sense in the con. I mean, seeing the film, but because uh, I've asked everybody, sort of give me a ratio between fifty 
like a 50-50, if 50-50 is equal, sorry, between mm-hmm. scares and gro- and gore, mm-hmm. you know, what would be the ratio? But for faults, I don't, it's not, it's not really that kind of film, is it? It's... Yeah, I mean, I don't even, there's not even really traditional, or I, I wouldn't even say traditional scares, because there's not really scares at all, but I, maybe uh, 1% on the gore out of 100, and... <laughs> uh, <laughs> And everything else is uh, is like weird, dark, atmospheric tone. Yeah, I, I mean, think certainly tone ninety percent, ninety nine percent tone, one percent gore. No, I definitely, I definitely think it, it 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 undermines the viewer. That's for certain. Exactly. Yeah. So it's definitely not the traditional fright fest movie, but it kind of is in a way because fright fest and a lot of other genre festivals out there are really welcoming and inclusive of films that are a little left of center and not necessarily uh, easily pegged into one category. Indeed, indeed. And I think that's, what, I think that's the joy of a, of, a, of, a, of a genre festival in this day and age. Exactly, yeah. I mean, you, you never know what kind of movie you're going to see. And uh, hopefully people who walk into faults, even if they're expecting one thing, will leave uh, totally... Uh, I, it's, it's just going to subvert expectations, I guess you could say. Indeed, indeed. Now, do you know, do you know when it's showing? I do. I have it written down beside me like uh, a prepared person. So it is August 24th, yep. and it's screening three times that day, uh, as far as I can tell from the website. No, it is. Uh, That's right. Then, what'd you say? That is right. Carry on. <laughs> okay. Yes, 11 a.m., film four screen. Uh, you've got a 1.30 p.m. screening at the Horror Channel screen, and 3.30 p.m. at the Arrow Video screen. So three chances to check it out. Yeah, I mean, and, and I don't know whether you're aware, um, this is the first year that the festival's been hosted at the View Cinema. And, and is that a really good theatre? I know, don't know anything about it. Well, the, big, the, the, the reason you've got three showings, as opposed to the one, is that previously it was at the Empire Leicester Square, which, in geographical terms, is about 40 yards from the View Cinema. Okay. So it's literally moved across Leicester Square. And oh, what? It's it's the the venue itself. The fright fest has just moved itself from one cinema to forty yards across the square to another cinema um, because previously the main screen, as it were, which those three screens are now taking the place of, would host fifteen hundred people. Oh, okay, that makes sense. So without without you know there aren't many fifteen hundred seat screens in Britain if there are any others at all. Um, mm-hmm. So I think the solution was to uh, to create three screens, which which I think in a way creates a great opportunity for those people that buy one go to see one film or maybe four or five films. Exactly. Well, yeah, it just makes it seem like people have more options that when they want to see something. It's not if you miss that one screening, it's over. It's that sounds like a great setup. Indeed, indeed. Now let's 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 look at your film then. Um, and it's, it's great that you're both the writer and director because uh, as a writer myself, I always like to sort of get a little bit of the inside track on the development of a, of a film as well as the sure. kind of yeah. technical aspects of the making. So what compelled you in the first place to write Faults? Um, well, I've always been fascinated by cults. Ever since I was a little kid, it's, <clears throat> it might sound weird to say that when you're a kid you're fascinated by cults, but there's just such, uh, I don't know, they're just this mysterious thing that is kind of scary because you think, well, they can get healthy people, uh, could, could a cult kind of indoctrinate me? Um, and it became this fascination with me, but even more so, uh, I found out about deprogramming kind of through my dad and talking about, uh, there, there was an episode of TV we were watching 
and they had a deprogrammer. And, and I was just so confused about the concepts. And my dad was telling me about, well, this person is going to be kidnapped. Uh, the family knows what's best for this person. And uh, even though it seems like it might be a scary thing and, and uh, kind of uh, uh, shocking at first, they're doing what they're doing for the person's own good. Um, and so, like, looking up the history of deprogramming and kind of getting into that uh, and just seeing how it was like these ragtag groups of men who didn't really have, not necessarily uh, educated uh, I think that the, uh, the man who invented deprogramming named, it was named Ted Patrick. He was like a golden gloves boxing champion, golden gloves boxing champion and, uh, had no degree in psychology or anything, but he developed this method to kind of get people out of, uh, dangerous cults. Mm-hmm. And, uh, just the fact that this was this like weird wild west of, of, uh, I guess counseling and helping people in the, I guess, late seventies, early eighties, uh, it just became this fascinating fascinating subject to me and then could have like I, I would have sworn there would have been more movies about it um but really there's only been a few like at least popular deprogramming films over the years um holy smoke uh with harvey Keitel and kate winslet is one that came to mind uh and then there's this other one called uh split image uh, that stars james woods in one of his first on uh, first big roles and it's just this batshit crazy movie and uh those are really like the two deprogramming films out there. And just the fact that there hadn't been more and that it was a subject that I was really fascinated by, it kind of became the perfect first feature uh, for me after after I did my short, The Cub, that played at Sundance the year before. Uh, and so I kind of went just headlong into that and uh, worked on the script for a while and then, uh, or in, in my head at least, kind of breaking it down and figuring out what the story would be. And then as it kind of went along, it just got weirder and weirder until I figured out the hook for the, uh, of the movie, which I won't say. But once I figured out that, it was just uh, a like two-week process of writing it and putting it together. And, and that's the movie that people pretty much see today. That makes me pretty envious when you say words like, and then it took a fortnight. Well, it's it's funny because it, I, even though I, I wrote it in two weeks, yeah. the process of coming up with it was more like eight months, something like that, where I didn't put anything on a piece of paper. Like, I, I really do have a weird uh, way of kind of coming up with my stuff where I, I sit with ideas for a long time. Like, I'm kind of doing that right now with something where I just, I think about it and I think about it. And if something doesn't happen that day where nothing, like, or nothing new comes about, um, I'm like, okay, that's fine because the next day something might. And you kind of hit a point where you're like, okay, I think I'm ready to write this. And I do a, a very uh, minor outline. I don't get too detailed. I like to find things when I'm writing the script itself. But I do like writing it fast because also I hate writing. <laughs> I, I think people who enjoy writing, uh, they, they're, they're fascinating people to me because I just I cannot stand the writing process. It's, it's hard and it's uh, grueling. Uh, but the, the outcome is always so worth it, and, and that's what I kind of look for. It's like just looking towards the finish line the entire time, not trying to think of it that way, but, yeah, I'm, I'm not the biggest fan of writing. So you're more, you're more of a, uh, you're a man that's happy to have written as opposed to a man happy writing. Exactly, yes. <laughs> well, I think most writers would agree with you, to be honest, on that front. It's just that, you know... Yeah, there's, there's people out there, though. You'd be surprised how many people are like, no, I love writing. I, I, I write every day. I write 10 pages a day, even if it's not for a script or something. I just, I just write, and I'm like, you are a crazy person. I, <laughs> I don't understand how your brain works that way, but more power to you. 
So in terms of when you started to sort of feel your way through the script and stuff and, and, and working from that outline, what, what, were, um, what were some of the hardest challenges to sort of resolve in the storytelling you were trying well, to I mean, the, the film itself is fairly contained. Uh, more than half of the film takes place in a motel room. Mm-hmm. And I think the, the writing process, I was convinced that I was going to be making this myself. I was probably going to have to do a Kickstarter or, or some form of uh, financing kind of on my own or, or um, kind of rebel financing or whatever it is. Uh, and so I, I really was writing for a smaller scale. And I think keeping it in that smaller scale was the challenge at the time, but also ended up being why I think the script works as well as it does. Uh, and, and I was very proud of that. And I, I think sometimes putting limitations on yourself can actually enhance the, the material that you're working on. Uh, but yeah, that, I think the, the contained nature of it and just making sure that uh, two people in a room talking, which is several big scenes of the movie are, are just our two leads uh, talking in a room and making sure that it doesn't feel boring is, is very important and very tricky. And it doesn't always work that way. And I'm, I'm happy that uh, it, it, I think it does in our, in our case. Um, but yeah, that, that nature of it uh, was probably the hardest part. No, and I think, I think, I think biggest testament for me as, as a viewer was that it wasn't, it wasn't until I started to think about the film that I realized how much it took place in such a limited location. That's really nice to hear. Yeah, because I, I, I've had other people say that too, that um, they're like, well, it takes place like, it's like 50% of the movie is in a, in a motel room. I'm actually, I'm like, no, it's actually closer to 75, 80%. Like you really are, uh, once you get in there, you're there. And and you don't want, I mean, it's also a thing of, with visuals too. You don't want things to become stale. And we had a very, I mean, it's a, it's a, deliberately paced film so there's lots of long takes and things like that mm. and it's very easy to get boring and i mean i've watched movies that are very boring that take place in a room and i'm like why did they do it that way and it, it was a very scary thing to think that maybe i won't be able to do it the way that i think it should be done but i'm glad that it worked out the way that it did so in that in that sense then for you for you when you put your director's hat on you know, you've gone through those trials and tribulations about how to make, you know, how to draw the drama out without being too, you know, too leading too heavy on any exposition or not saying enough, but also making that visually interesting. What, what were the what were the challenges for you when you started writing your sh- your, your shot list? Um, well, yeah, and I I tried not to plan too much. I think that was one thing is being open to things on the day. Um, but also to not go in blind. So uh, the weekend, or I guess, yeah, the weekend before we did our first uh, week of shooting, this is also my first feature. So I'm just scared shitless that I don't know how to do a feature. I, I've done <laughs> shorts before, but the most I've ever done on a, on a shoot is two days in a row. And so you start worrying about, um, I, it's, I think we ended up being like a 18, 19 day shoot uh, in the end. And, and you, you question, am I going to be able to do it mentally or physically? Like, am I going to uh, just break in the middle of something? And so I, I kind of went through and did a, a shot list in the way that would say like, I'm going to be on this character probably for this line and this character for this line. Um, and then like 
shoot coverage, obviously, but at least starting to try to edit it in my head, but not locking it down to like, this is the storyboard that we're doing and that's all we're going to do. So I think that uh, one of the good things about that is that my cinematographer, Michael Reagan, and I were able to kind of uh, wing it on, uh, on certain days and, and be like, oh, this is actually a lot better for the scene. And, and then the actors do something that's different and you're not tied down to some way uh, that you've kind of Put it together in your head you, you're open enough to say the way they're doing it is better than i thought that it could be done um or it's better than my idea of the way it should be done and just kind of going with it that way i think that was that was important to us and and also just like trying to keep a, a visual language throughout the film breaking it up enough we leave the motels at a, a, a the motel at a certain key moment and that kind of gets you out of the space and gives you a chance to breathe again and catch your breath before we go back in um it's it's little things but yeah it all adds up and it, it makes a huge difference now i mean obviously be, being your first feature you, like, like you say there's there's a lot of pressure there and you had you had two great leads with uh, mary elizabeth winston and uh, and layla norsa what was what was your approach with them you know obviously because um, because quite a lot of the action takes place emphasizing one or the other yeah so um Mary is actually my wife, so that she that, that's an easy relationship. We get along very well. We're very like-minded. She's been, I guess, reading script pages from the day that I started writing it. Uh, she's a, a person who kind of just helps me make sure that I'm not doing something dumb. Uh, and so she's been along with the process the entire time. And, and so that was a comfort to have there. That was that, that person who's like totally on my team, gets what I'm going for. And also she's really, really talented. And so you kind of just with her, she has the script and we talked about it beforehand and what kind of the character should be doing in this scene and that scene. But it, it mainly was just let her do her thing. And that was a, a huge thing to have on a first feature. I know a lot of people on their first features have uh, non-actors or friends as actors, and there's a lot more pressure, I would say, there because uh, even though you're friendly with them, if they're not professionals or they haven't done it as many times uh, as, as other people have, uh, you're putting a lot of faith in, in people who uh, are carrying a film. And, and so with her, I could just kind of let her go and do her thing, and then every once in a while I would be like, maybe just try this, and then she would do it, and I would be like, nope, you were right. I, I, my role was worse, and <laughs> And then uh, the great thing, though, too, is that at a certain point, uh, so my producers, Keith Calder and Jess Calder uh, at Snoot Entertainment, they did a film called The Guest, which is also uh, playing some of the genre festivals around right now, um, directed by Adam Wingard. And Leland Orser is in that movie. And one day, I mean, we were trying to figure out who our lead would be. And one day I got a text from Keith saying, uh, with a picture of Leland saying, uh, Ansel, which is the lead character in our film, and I wrote back, yes, and we met, and he was great, and I kind of, I've loved him and everything he's done. He's, he's always one of those scene stealers who comes in for, like, a scene or, or two in a movie and just, like, just lays it all out there, and he's, he's incredible. And so I knew that he had the ability to do this part, and he trusted me, and, and kind of working with him was, in a weird way, similar to working with Mary, where you kind of just say, this is what we're, we've talked about beforehand, this is what I think the plan is going to be, and now just act and do your thing, and I will stay out of your way. Uh, so having a movie that's basically two leads uh, talking in a room together and being like in weird situations together and just trusting them as actors, I think that I had it actually incredibly easy for a first feature. <laughs> It sounds crazy, but it's it's true. It's very well, true. Well, no, no. I mean, it must have been when 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 um, 
when Le- when Leyland's uh, face first appeared, sort of in those opening shots, it was kind of. I mean, I, I remember him most just from being, um, I think he's uh, Buddy and uh, Taken. You know, the guy that oh, sort of yeah. And uh, I never I never pictured him in a lead before, and it was just so it was it was so gratifying to watch him just sort of fill 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 the film up with himself, as it were. I'm so glad to think that. No, and he also, I mean, he, everyone always loves him or uh, talks about his scene in Seven, too. He's he's the one who had to, uh, uh, well, I forgot what what, uh, sin it was, but he was the one who had the device, and he had to um, have sex with the woman with the device, and he's, like, shaking uncontrollably in this basement uh, brothel and, like, screaming and, uh, he he stayed up like 48 hours in a row to get that performance out of himself, and he deserves an Academy Award nomination for that <laughs> scene alone. And so to have the guy from that scene be the lead in my movie, I was like, nope, yep, that's that's exactly what I want. That's perfect. I couldn't ask for anything more. So uh, I, I I love I love characters and I love character actors, and Leland is definitely uh, a great character actor who uh, works perfect in a lead setting. And and what we what were you thinking in terms of uh, Ansel as a character? Because he's 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 a fascinating person to focus on. Because he's not yeah. a traditional hero, is he, by any stretch? Yeah, I mean he's he's a, a guy who is a good guy deep down. He's just never let himself uh, take blame for anything. He's he's a guy who uh, the world is out to get him, and nothing is his fault. And I, I think that. It's just a, it's a huge. It's his flaws is not accepting responsibility in life for his choices, and uh, I, I think he's a sad person. But I love him at the same time, and he's funny, and he's mm. he's eccentric, and and it, I, I mean I definitely remember like uh, even before we were casting, there were agents uh, reading the script because it kind of gotten passed around, and uh, my manager saying to me like. Agents are afraid to give this to their actors because they think that, like, the part's too hard. And to hear that, I was like, well, then I did my job because I want to see a movie where people actually uh, are, are different or trying something new and are, are like, out reaching outside of their comfort zone. I don't want to be uh, watching so-and-so play the same part again and again and again in a movie. And the fact that Leland has never really had that lead role he was more gung-ho than anybody in the entire crew. Like, he wanted to be there more than anyone else. And you just kind of, with somebody like that, you have to kind of count your blessings and say, like, I can't believe I'm this lucky and I'm just going to pinch myself and know it's not a dream. Okay, back to this setup and and uh, just kind of go with it, yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, I must admit, from, from, I mean, for those obviously listening who won't have seen it just yet, there's... He has an amazing ability. Well, the character is amazingly well drawn in the sense of he is he is the weakest person you could ever hope to meet, but then he's also <laughs> the strongest person you can ever hope to meet. And this can happen within 20, 30 seconds of the same shot. You yeah, know, yeah. You, you, he, and, uh, and it's it's the situation around him uh, that kind of is affecting him and breaking mm. him down and um, what is reality and, and all of that. And it's hard. Yeah. Without having, uh, people having seen the movie to kind of describe it, but the Leland's performance in this movie is just something that, I mean, I can't even take credit obviously for it because it's him, <laughs> but I, I feel so proud for him and the performance he gives in this, in this film. Well, thinking about the things you were doing then as a director, what, what were the bits that you, I mean, I mean, Reflecting as well on it being your first feature, and I imagine always getting that feature in the can, edited and out there. Now, 
doing the rounds at festivals um, would be a hell of an achievement in your mind looking back. But, mm-hmm. but but thinking more of the process of you making it, what were some of the sort of sort of directorial choices that you made, or things that things that happened that you were able to to sort of lead on that you're most proud of in terms of this film? I think uh, touching since we've been talking about performances, the the first thing that comes to mind is I, I love longer takes in films, especially when they're warranted, and uh, a lot of our scenes. Um, I, I are pretty much just Leland and Mary going and me just rolling the camera and and kind of letting them live in that world. And when there's no cut, I feel like the audience, in a way, like you either get people who are like expecting the cut and it throws them off and then that kind of throws them into a weird uh, thing where they're like, you should be on that person for this line and, <laughs> and why isn't he doing that? And then it kind of creeps them out or weirds them out in some way, which is, also, which is fun. Uh, or you get people who are watching a scene where there isn't a cut and they kind of forget they're watching a movie and they feel like they're just, you feel like you're just in it. And I feel like we've got a bit of both of those uh, things going on in this film where uh, it's just, it's a a very uh, different, I mean, it's not even to call it like a European film or or anything, but there's just not a lot of people in indie cinema right now um, who I think are just afraid to let the camera go and like trust the actors. I think there's a lot of uh, cuts and there's a lot of like fast action and uh, handheld and, and things like that, which are great and everything. But I, I, I feel like my, one of my choices in this film was to slow things down um, and, and be deliberate and be careful and precise. And, mm. and uh, so that definitely lent itself to the style of the film. It's uh, a lot of wider shots. It's a lot of it's in a motel room again, so we're, we're wide lenses, really close up, and I think it all just kind of adds to the atmosphere and the uh, the mood and the tension, and and I think yeah, just focusing on what is the best thing for this scene and for the actor's performance. That that was my goal, and to kind of just not butt in too much. <laughs> well, I think I think yeah, I think you've done a great job in that sense because it's that it's that thing where you're watching, and because you make us look at stuff for maybe that bit longer to the point where sometimes it's a bit uncomfortable. Yes, you begin yeah. to ask questions as to why am I looking at this? Because obviously you're hearing and seeing what's going on. Yeah, exactly. And and smart filmmaker, a film, uh, I guess a, a film goer who goes to a lot of films and sees who loves movies and 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 stuff. A lot of times in that instance, that's the person who's maybe not thinking as much. Like I'm just getting absorbed in this world. They start kind of analyzing the scene and saying, well, why is this shot? the one that we're watching right now. What is it about this? Uh, does, does somebody want us to, to get out of it? Uh, and and so that that's one of those things that's kind of fun. And, and especially for second viewings, I feel like uh, some of the people even who worked on the film were like, oh, I didn't know that's what you were doing right there. Or I didn't know that Leland did that thing with his face at that moment. And that's so cool that you held on that. And uh, it's it's all just like little things, but they, they again, they add up and they, they all influence the, the feel of the film. No, I can't. I'm an awesome man. I can't wait for my uh, my second viewing because obviously that will be on the big screen. So I'll uh, at the big screen, and I, I'm glad that you'll hopefully get to see it that way because uh, we also put a lot of effort into our sound design and just kind of yeah, ratcheting up tension with little things. And we we don't have a uh, a huge amount of score in our film, but when it does come in, especially on a big screen with a good sound system, it's it's just it definitely brings a pretty big smile to my face still when I watch it with an audience. Now, that's a lovely segue into uh, my next question, which is, I mean, I don't know what, what you're, how familiar you are with the Fright Fest Festival itself. but, but Pretty much nothing. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, yeah. a, a, be, a, a big factor um, is the Fright Fest audience. Mm-hmm. Um, to, to the, you know, 
to, to the point that they're almost like they've almost got a, they've almost got their, their own celebrity status in addition oh, really? to the films themselves. You know, uh, wow. certainly Eli Roth when he's come down for Q and As and um, God Joe Lynch and uh, Adam Green. Mm-hmm. You know, they they they've talked widely about it and and recently at last year's uh, festival, the film critic Mark Commode. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Not familiar with him, no. Well, he, 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 does, he does national radio and a few national papers over here, and he saw one of the Chuck, the, the latest um, Child's Play movie, which obviously is not, you know, it's not going to reinvent cinema for anybody, but <laughs> when you watch it in a room full of Fright Fest, you know, the, the kind of people that are going to Fright Fest, you can enjoy the film for what it is without worrying too much about sort of the flaws, let's say, of a film like exactly. that. And to the point that he wrote a piece where he said, as well as um, the idea that cinema com- cinemaplexes have, uh, what do you call it, uh, a mother and baby screening or a pensioner's cheap day rate, they go, he was he was insisting that maybe we should introduce a horror fan-only screening for films. That, I mean, that'd be incredible. <laughs> you, I, I, the thing is, if I, if I go to see a movie uh, that I really want to see, I want to see it opening weekend with people who also really want to see it. Like, I'll go see a Paul Thomas Anderson movie at midnight, because those are all the people, like that very first screening, because those are all people who want to be there and who will enjoy it. And, and yeah, it's, 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 it makes such a difference. It's a great audience, makes a huge difference. My first screening of uh, my short, The Cub, uh, let me just turn that off. Sorry. That's a hell of a dog you've got there. So, uh, yeah, my first screening of my short, The Cub, uh, at Sundance, I, I guess it's, oh, God, it's almost two years ago now, uh, was the best screening I've ever had in my entire life, even more than at the feature, because the feature, like, it, it was more of a subdued reaction here and there, but my, uh, my short was, was a comedy, and, and so it just, uh, like, I, I think I even recorded the, the audio of the audience watching the short, and every once in a while when I'm feeling, like, depressed about something, I'll play that and be like, that was the best audience ever, and I will never have that again. Hopefully I will have that again, but even if I don't, I've got this evidence to prove that they loved something I did, and that's the greatest feeling. <laughs> so, with, with that in mind, then, what, what, is, what can the... Uh, what would, if you're, if you're what, watching the Fright Fest audience watch your film, um, what, would be, what would be something you'd be uh, excited to see happen with them when they're watching your movie? The opening scene of the movie is probably the coolest thing to watch with an audience, uh, because, and not to give too much away, but I think a lot of people will probably go in thinking that it's one type of movie, maybe it, it's a horror movie, or it's it's got the word cults in the description, and so they're like, oh, it's probably like a Martha Marcy May Marlene type of thing, and then that opening scene kicks in, <laughs> it's just a oneer, and people will be like, I have no idea what the fuck I'm watching, and most of the time, the laughs just start getting louder and louder as it goes on, and uh, it's, it's just a, a great feeling because you, you're watching people go like, okay, I don't know what's happening. Now I just have to like be along for the ride with the movie. It's, it's, it's getting off, uh, like I, I guess us like at, at a start line of a race or something and we cheat and take off before the other person does <laughs> and you're trying to catch up the entire time afterwards. And, and I like the feeling of uh, watching something where I don't know where a movie is going and it's okay. And I feel like we've got that kind of from our first scene. No, no, no. As far as um, as far as character introductions go, <laughs> it's one of the best I've seen in a long while. Thank you. <laughs> no, no. Seriously, it's a, it's a cracker. Um, now let's remind people when can they see your movie? Then at Fright Fest. 
Uh, yes, it's going to be August 24th. Uh, we're, we've got three screenings that day. One is at 11 a.m. at the Film 4 screen. One is at 1.30 p.m. at the Horror Channel screen. And one, or I guess our last one, is at 3.30 p.m. at the Arrow Video screen. And uh, all, but you can check it out on the website and make yeah, sure. they're all at the View Cinema, and that's Leicester Square, London. Now then, we're BritFlix.com, and uh, one of the things we like to do is get the people who appear on the podcast to recommend us a British film that they feel maybe is underrated or deserves a bit more kudos. Now, you've had other thoughts on that. Do you want to expand? I've had the littlest thought on it, <laughs> but I think I... So I'm, I'm not necessarily a cinephile. I, I do love horror movies, but I don't have a great knowledge of horror film, uh, and especially in the finite uh, like area of British horror films. But... Uh, I was thinking that one film that I would love to see a full version of is Edgar Wright's Don't. The uh, Grindhouse trailer uh, kind of sets up a film that I wish existed so much. Like, I probably, that would be the, the one movie that I would want to see Edgar do. <laughs> like, if, <laughs> if, like, something else falls apart, like, uh, or if he doesn't do anything for a little while, just make Don't, because that trailer is one of the funniest trailers I've ever seen, and uh, it makes me crave that movie like nobody else, yeah. And is that, I mean, is that one of the ones that actually hasn't actually been talked about being made into a movie? Because, I mean, that's most... never been talked. I mean, I think Edgar probably would joke about it and stuff, but yeah. I, I realistically never, I don't think he would ever make that movie. But I think it's also by design that trailer, he's talked about it at QAs and stuff, where that trailer is designed to be a movie that would never make sense in a feature version because it's like got was it like a weird baby grown baby man in the basement it's got uh, a slasher element but there's also zombies and then there's ghosts and it makes no sense there's a, like i think there's also like 20 different lead actors by the way that it's cut it's it's designed to never make sense in a in an extended version but that's i think why it's so exciting and why i would want to see a feature version of don't actually be made well i think i think that's a fairly valid uh, a valid recommendation <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I think you can probably watch it on YouTube. And to be honest with you, I think it's something that uh, that many of Frightfest uh, would uh, would agree with too. Perfect. Uh, do before you go, do do you have um, an official release date yet for uh, Faults for those people? We that don't. Have... No. Um, I mean, we're we're playing a few more festivals throughout the world. Where uh, like there's there's uh, possible worlds in Australia, and um, I think uh, there's there's something in. Berlin, another genre festival that is playing, and, and a few other things that are happening. But as far as release dates, we're still working out distribution, but I'm uh, hopefully we'll be able to talk about that pretty soon. And can people reach you on Twitter or anything like that? If they Yes, uh, I'm on Twitter. It's at Riley Stearns. And uh, I also, uh, you can go to my website, and I've got an email address that you can uh, touch out or touch base there too. But, uh, yeah, I'm always happy to hear from people, especially if you've seen the movie and you like it, or you don't and you want to tell me what you don't like about it. I'm happy to hear that too. Uh, I might not agree with you, but I definitely want to hear it. So, that's yeah. Very, that's very kind of you. <laughs> well, look, sir, I thank you very much for your time. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. This is a Fright Fest 2014 special of It's the BritFlix.com podcast. This is a Fright Fest 2014 special of It's the BritFlix.com podcast. It's time for 
another season of The Palmetto Porch, an original podcast from Discover South Carolina. I'm Devin Whitmire. Join me as I get to the heart of what makes South Carolina such a great place to visit by speaking to the locals who make it so special. Premiering December 5th, find The Palmetto Porch wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information about our show, visit scpalmettoporch.com. Oh,